This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 114 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you by Equestrian Collections, horseshows.com, and Kentucky Performance Products. Donna Barton Brothers. Normally you would see me on NBC or on TVG covering horse racing or the Rolex 3D event or World Equestrian Games, but I actually have hijacked Chris Stafford's show. And I'm here to take over the radio show right now. And first of all, let me introduce Chris. Everybody always gets introduced by Chris, but nobody ever gets to hear Chris's byline. So let's talk about Chris for a little bit. Let me start by saying happy birthday to you, Chris. Um, you've got a big one coming up this year. I, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Do you want to talk about what we have coming up on in July? Or Yeah, that's okay, Donna. I mean, this is a strange feeling, um, being on the other side of the microphone, being interviewed. Um, and, and thank you very much, I think, <laughs> for doing this. Uh, yeah, there's a big birthday coming up. It's the big 6-0 on the 25th of July. So it can, I guess it's a kind of a milestone, isn't it? Yeah, and especially when you look back at your accomplishments. Let me just – I think a lot of people um, don't realize – most people know you're from England, but they don't realize that, you know, you've done this your whole entire life. I mean, so you were born in Howell, Northamptonshire, England, to parents who had no interest in the horses. Your father was a trainer, but he was a dog trainer. He he, he trained um, gun dogs for pheasant shooting and, and was all about the country field sports. Your mother was talented, not professional, but a talented pianist and singer. So one of only four, I mean, you're one of four children and the first horsewoman in the family. You started riding seriously at age four. Do you feel like this was just part of your makeup of who you were? Because obviously you didn't have any influences around you with the horses. Not really, and I came to about horses in a strange way. I was terrified of them when I was about three or four. My brother had a pony for therapeutic reasons, mm. and I was terrified. And my parents would try and encourage me to go out and su be supportive to him, but I wouldn't go anywhere near the pony. I was terrified. So what finally got you out there? Uh, well, it was just one day. I think they'd given up saying, you know, why don't you go out and stroke the pony when he was brought round on the lead rein, you know? And uh, I went out the house... I went up to the pony and I said to my father, I want to get on. And I think everybody was so dumbstruck that, you know, after all this time, you know, months, years, that I had not wanted to get anywhere near a horse, um, that they decided, uh, you know, this maybe was the turning point. And, uh, so yeah. maybe because you didn't have any pressure. You had the yes. opportunity but no pressure. That's right. Yeah. So then you grew up in Northamptonshire riding and you did um, participated in the Pony Club and um, participated in Jim Connor games and um, showing and uh, jumping. And finally, at 14, you decided that's it. The horses are the way I'm going to go. You just left and went off with the horses. Talk to me about that. Well, my parents said that, you know, at that time, of course, I was born in 1951. So kind of post-Second World War era. And, uh, you know, the parent, my parents obviously wanted the best for me and decided that okay they, they kind of gave up like if you want a career with horses then at least get some qualifications mm -hmm. and that's when you went to the british horse society for, for yeah i went to allerton equitation school and i was uh, on the course there for the british horse society assistant instructors exam which was the only qualification in those days available 
And uh, I trained under the tutelage of Davina Whiteman, who I still credit for the foundation that I have. Of, you know, even though I went through Pony Club and got the Pony Club exams, Davina was, I think, the catalyst for setting me off and setting my career in the way it did. You know, we all have our mentors, mm-hmm. and Davina was mine. And, uh, and I was influenced by a lot of great horsemen of that time. And even as a child, you know, my, I used to go around the local villages. There was great stable managers in those days, stud grooms, as we used to say, that really influenced me and taught me the old methods mm-hmm. that uh, you don't find today. And, and I think that was a, a marvelous sort of education for me. And, and, and then having a good foundation to my professional career, it set me up to do things properly, very thoroughly and very properly, because in those days when I was growing up, you know, one man did two horses or oh. even just one horse. And, you know, they might be a hunting horse. They may be, you know, there wasn't the sport horse influence that there is today. So they learned how to do horses really properly and thoroughly and, and, and spend all day with them and, you know, learning to do it properly. And that, that I picked up and then having very good influences from then on with some really great horsemen and women. And so you spent a year taking that course is that correct that's right yes it was a year's course and uh and after that uh, i decided that i just wanted to jump i was <laughs> i just wanted to sh- uh, jump 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 and i got into it when i was at, at, at equitation school and uh, we competed quite a bit and not eventing it was show jumping we had a lot of indoor competitions but you've also done a lot of different disciplines i mean mm-hmm. you've you've instructed in all the three major olympic disciplines obviously you've received instruction in all of those um also so that wasn't your only interest, jumping. No, no, it, 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 it soon evolved from there. I realized, you know, that the basis to good jumping was the groundwork and the flat work. And, uh, and, then, and then, I yeah, I did dabble in not only just the Olympic disciplines, but uh, driving. I learned to drive, and I broke in a lot of ponies and horses for driving, polo, um, hunting, of course, which everybody does in England, and that taught you how to look after horses really properly. Um, in racing, and uh, and uh, you know, I was influenced by some great racing people at the time, and so yeah, I dabbled in uh, in so many different things. I did even even did a bit of vaulting, did some endurance, you know, a little bit of everything. And I think that was a great foundation. And you know, I'd encourage anybody to do that today to get as much sort of rounded experience as possible. You certainly had a lot of that. And we're going to take a short break now to hear from one of our valued sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show, and that is Horseshow.com. At Horseshow.com, you can now compete online, just like you were at a regular horse show. Get judged by the top judges and get the judges' comments. Just upload your home video and enter a class online at Horseshow.com. It's a simple and economic way for you to compete with your horse from home. It's also a great way to prepare for your next show or track your progress during the off-season. Horseshow.com features real horse shows for multiple breeds and disciplines, and they're judged by nationally accredited judges. So upload, enter, and win anytime at horseshow.com. Chris, you've worked with a lot of the top riders around the uh, around the world, really. Can you talk to me about some of those riders and, and what disciplines they were in and some of the names? Well, yeah, I've been really lucky, Donna. I've actually worked with some great names in the Olympic disciplines uh, primarily. I've worked with, uh, uh, whew, let me see, Sheila Wilcox. I was with her with the Canadian Olympic team uh, for eventing and I started off, actually, my career with Peter Robeson, 
who was an, an Olympian in the Tokyo Olympics in show jumping, and that was my first employer. Uh, so that really gave me the bug to do jumping and to jump, jump, jump. And I learned an enormous amount from him about the basics of jumping and uh, also jumped, worked with Caroline Bradley, who was also a well-known British show jumper who sadly passed away all too early and um, got to ride some really great horses. She even put me on Franco one day, which was one of her best horses. And uh, that that's a steep learning curve when you get put on some of these best horses. And But it also really had that fire lit under you, I'm it sure. It did. It did, and I and I also in Italy worked with Vittorio Orlandi, and I was blessed at that time to be working uh, closely w- with the show jumpers and and watch the Dinzeo brothers, Piero and Ramondo Dinzeo, who are going to be guests on the Equestrian Legends shortly. They're both you know one's eighty nine and the other's ninety one, so that gives you a sense of of, of uh, when you were coming up, when I was coming up, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, yeah, I work with a, a lot of great people in, in Switzerland and Italy, and, uh, um, and yeah, in different countries. Some of the some of the really really good names in, most, in the Olympic disciplines, and uh, and learnt an awful lot from them from their different training methods, and also from their methods of management and getting horses fit. Did you find yeah. that they had more in common or more differences? There's there are some things that are in common, but it, depending on the country, there were a lot of differences. Um, certainly, um, and not least of all because of the environment and the climate. You know, when we were in Italy, uh, I remember you know we'd have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to work the horses. And okay, this is not racing; you're used to it. But you know, in in the eventing world, um, in order to ride the horses because it became too hot. By nine o'clock, we would be finished by nine o'clock, and uh, in the summer because it was so hot. And in Switzerland, the other way round, you know, it was so cold in the winters that we would wait until you know it got as warm as it could do during the day in the winter to ride. And uh, there was a lot of different cultural differences. Yes, yeah. And I suppose the topography and the soil would change some of the ways that they trained horses differently. That's right. The environment, the topography, the the uh, for the footing and whether we could work indoors or out depending on the year yeah time of year that's a pretty impressive list of people you've worked with yeah there was a lot of really great people and then uh, i was uh, able to work uh, closely with Ginny um, leng or Ginny holgate as she was another eventer um, watched her when i was living in in england we were almost neighbors and uh, and watch her training methods as well. And uh, she was famous for, you know, the incredible standard of fitness of her horses. And so I kind of picked from different people around the world, you know, of their different methods of training and uh, worked with dressage masters in Austria, for example, in Switzerland, where Christine Stuckelberger in Switzerland, for example, um, she was a great Swiss rider in the day. And uh, Rudy Wahl was, George Wahl was, uh, they tra- trained with her and uh, or trained her. So I picked up a lot from the Austrians, from the Germans about dressage and uh, and the Swiss, and uh, with eventing from from the Brits, from the Canadians, from the Italians, and and the French. And so I've been very lucky in you know enjoying the different cultures while learning about the different training methods in each of those countries too, which I think is helping me doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, absolutely, it makes you much more well-rounded than you otherwise would be even if you had done this for years but in one country yeah yeah so it's a it's been a a great progress it's you know it's been a great journey to have been able to enjoy not only the their training methods and listening to these great 
horsemen and women and watch them, um, but also to take what you can adapt for your own purposes. And, and then when I was training my own horses, you know, you'd pick a bit of this and a bit of that and, uh, you know, you'd make it into your own cornucopia and develop your own methods from it. Chris, you you are a fan, obviously, um, of many disciplines, many riders, many horses. Um, seems like first in self-deprecating almost in, in that nature. Um, but with your wealth of knowledge and background, um, it would seem that there's got to be times when you're watching some of these events and even some of the top-level riders and think, I wish that they would do this differently with this horse, or I think that might help that horse. Um, do you ever think that? Because I know you don't say it, and you never would. What I think I wish most of all is that young people coming into the sport, no matter what discipline they're in, they would take time to learn horsemanship. They would take time to develop those basic skills and and spend the barn time. And, I, and that, you know, if there's anything that's missing in the younger population who maybe are coming from an urban situation and not off the farm as we did in the past that they even more than ever and even more than then they need to spend that barn time and not just have the horse handed to them and you know given the gloves and the and the, and the whip and a leg up and then when they get off they walk away from the horse and when you say barn time what do you mean exactly other than just brushing them what do you mean by the barn time just being with the horses and feeling their legs and feeling them at any time of day observing horses observing other people just there's so much you can do just by watching people and and working with more than one or two yes. horses and working and being exposed to as many different horses as you can, all types of horses. And, and it may not just be your chosen discipline, but, you know, spend time. Like I hope, you know, the, the riders today that go to competitions where there are, there are other disciplines, there is an opportunity to go and watch other disciplines, you know, and, and, and see what happens. You can learn something from everybody. So since we don't have a program like you do in England with the British Horse Society, just basically make sure that you're self-taught. Teach yourself if, if yeah. you know, it's, I guess there's plenty of places to look if yeah, you want to learn. Yeah, there really is. There's tons of places to look. If you really, really want to make this your profession or just get the best out of it for yourself and, and for your horse, whatever you're doing with your horse, there's so many opportunities to learn by watching other people and being open to learning, you know, to really take in what other people are doing. You don't need to have to adapt to everything that, that you see, but at least learn from it. You know, there is something I learned that myself from watching people in so many different cultures around the world that there's something you can take away. Try to at least sort out why they do what they do. Why they do what they do, how they do what they do, and that, that there is a reason. I mean, you might not believe in the German system or you might not believe in the Italian system or whatever. You may not believe in it, but there's a reason why they do it and there's a reason why the Brits are good at eventing. There's a reason why the French are good at show jumping. There's a reason why the Argentinians produce such good polo players. There's a reason why, you know, Americans actually are pretty good at endurance and vaulting. There's a reason for that. And it comes to the culture and, uh, you know, the management and the education, the training, the opportunities. You put all those things together and there's a lot that people can learn just by observing. I think that's great advice. So in 1987, you were really forced to the ground with um, back injuries, and mm. and that kind of took you into 
your work in the media world in uh, print photography and then into broadcasting. You traveled the world in photojournalism and, in fact, lived in, in seven different countries and moved to the United States in 1999. So having lived in all those different countries and had so many different experiences, what brought you to the United States and, and why did you stay? <laughs> why are you still here? <laughs> Uh, well, I think I, I had had the benefit of living in a lot of different countries and seen a lot of different cultures. And I think when I first came here, I thought, you know, this has the space and the, you know, which a lot of countries didn't have. I mean, I lived in Australia a while, that has space. Mm. But the European countries don't have the kind of space we have here. And that kind of appealed to my soul, you know, to have that kind of room for growth, you know, and uh, it wasn't crowded. England has just become so crowded now. It's a tiny island after all. So it, it appealed to me on many levels. And I think the opportunity for growth and, and certainly in my career. Um, when you first came to the United States, which state did you settle? Right here in Kentucky. Right here in Kentucky mm. and stayed here. Mm. Good choice. <laughs> I had oh. a little deviation. I went over to California for a couple of years to work in television. But, well, currently yeah. you have many roles in, uh, in equestrian media. Equestrian media consultant, author, journalist, producer, director, broadcaster, and you're an artist and a photographer You've kind of dabbled in ceramics. Um, you know, I think the obvious question is, do you have a short attention span? <laughs> or are you really this passionate about this many things? <laughs> uh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it could, you could say that. Well, I suppose you have to keep, put it in context of a life, Donna. You know, it's, it's what's evolved over time, and there has been a time and a place for all those activities, really. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. And, and I think you've been good about letting, <clears throat> when one door starts to close, you're really good about seeing the opportunity for another door to open. Yeah, that's a very good way to, to put it. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, I, I'm yeah. not a, always going to blame it on your short attention span. <laughs> but obviously you don't have too short of an attention span because you published three books, which it takes a lot of effort to even write three of them. Um, the names of your books, Practical Stable Management, Horse Care and Management, and Fit to Compete. Um, we talked a lot about the British Horse Society and the way they have it set up in England. We don't have anything like that here in the United States. Did you just see a need for people to like get that foundation and write these books based on what was your impetus? Well, the catalyst for that, actually, was I'd started doing a little bit of journalism back in the mid-'70s, and a friend of mine who's an established author, Caroline Burt, um, she, or Caroline Ackrell was her pen name, she encouraged me to start writing. And I said, Caroline, I couldn't write a book. I wouldn't know where to start. And anyway, she helped me. She was my mentor. And she said, Chris, you've got, you know, the, the knowledge. And um, um, I can, you know, put you in touch with a, a publisher or two and, you know, tell you how to write a synopsis. And so we did that and we took it to a publisher and they said, yes, please. And, and it went from there, really. And, um, they, before I finished the first one, they asked for the second one, and and I and it was always nonfiction at that time, um, because that was the experience that I that I could bring to the mm -hmm. printed page. But you know, I think it just went from there because I got into journalism, and they wrote the books, and I kind of done that and moved on to more areas of print journalism and photography, and yeah. Well, um, you're also an artist. I've seen a lot of your paintings. You can go to your website and see your paintings. I've seen a lot of your photos. Um, the thing that surprised me is that there's no horses. I mean, there's a lot of landscapes. You know, there's photos of Tibet. I mean, you've obviously traveled, and there's kangaroos, lions. No horses. You don't paint horses. You don't photograph horses. Is your art 
sort of like your escape from the horses, not that you need an escape, but just something else. You know, Donna, when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be able to draw my pony, and I never could. <laughs> and and I would always make him look like a you know an elephant or a giraffe or something other than a horse. And I found out later when I got interested in art, which is very recent actually, the interest in 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 doing it myself, um, not being an observer, but actually dabbling in it as I do. Um, that it was using the wrong side of my brain. I had, you know, this idea in my mind of what the horse should look like, you know, in terms of, you know, their um, confirmation, what what was correct. And that that was what I was trying to apply to art, and it didn't work. So I had, if I turned a picture of a horse upside down and then copied it, it would come out looking really like a horse. So I was clearly using the wrong side of my brain, and that, I've probably been doing that all my life and on all kinds of things. So you just decided not to draw the horses. You had too much of an idea already of how you wanted them to look that, or how you thought they should look. That. Yeah, and I think you know when I did a lot of photography, uh, it started. the photography started actually for my books, um, and then I got into travel photography. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a lot of competition, a lot of sport horse photography, and I got into travel photography when I when I started traveling around the world, and that I think inspired me, you know, and opened up my mind to sort of landscapes and, and other things. Yeah. Um, right now you have four radio shows. <laughs> I don't know how you have the time to do this, but you've got the venting radio show, radio show, the dressage radio show, the jumping radio show, and you've just launched your new biweekly radio show, the Equestrian uh, Legends. You know, I'm really curious. How do you keep abreast of all these different disciplines? I mean, you're very up-to-date. I've listened to your shows. The questions that you ask the individuals are relevant and up-to-date. And so not only do you have all these different disciplines, you have hundreds of individual people and horses. How do you keep uh, up-to-date on everything, on everybody? Well, thanks to the Internet, I suppose. You know, I just feed off this every waking hour. I love it. It's always been a passion, and you'll talk to any horse, man or woman. You know this yourself, and it's it's easy to talk about horses. Mm -hmm. And so you just an read easy everything and keep up with it, and, yeah. and there you are. And we're going to take another short break now to remind you of another valued sponsor of the Horse Radio Network's Dressage Radio Show, and that is Kentucky Performance Products. KPP offers a variety of great supplements, and one of those is Caraform, which is a source of biotin, methionine, iodine, and zinc supplementation for all classes of horses. Biotin, methionine, iodine, and zinc are included at levels shown to support the maintenance of healthy hooves and hair. These ingredients are combined with lecithin and full-fat soybeans to provide a source of essential fatty acids, an ingredient that supports a normal, healthy hair coat. Yeast cultures are included and play a role in the maintenance of normal digestive function, making Caraform a well-rounded, affordable supplement. To find out more about this and all of the KPP products, visit kppusa.com or call 1-800-772-772. 1988. And to learn more about horse nutrition and interact with the KPP experts, be sure to join their Facebook fan page. Um, so let's talk about your equestrian legends. Um, you've already had two guests, Bill Steincross from show, show Jumping and Jack Burton from Eventing. But um, what was the impetus behind the program and what's your ideal vision for it? 
Well, it started off as a series called Inspirational People that was nested within the jumping dressage and eventing shows, depending on the guest discipline. And it was aimed at people, the guests were, I should say, um, the older generation. And it soon became apparent that we had a little gem here, that there were, these were recordings that would probably be one of the last recordings that these guests would do if they were particularly older. Um, and they had stepped away from the microphone or from the public eye a long time ago. And we realized that it, it certainly merited its own show. And, and it's a very, very interesting show to do. I'm really enjoying that because not that I'm as old as some of my guests, I'm sorry, with all due respect. But there are periods of their career that I can relate to having watched them as competitors. So I can have that conversation with them because I was watching them as I was growing up. You know. Yeah, they're, they're the shoulders upon which everybody else is standing now. And so yeah. these are people that you looked up to when you were young, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely, definitely. So in 2005, um, you established the Chris E. Stafford Groom of the Year Award for the U.S. Eventing Association. Um, you know, surprisingly, there wasn't an award like that. And, and I think that it's wonderful why that you've done it. But I guess, um, you know, what, what made you decide... I'm going to do this. Nobody's done it. I'm going to do it. Well, when I was in England, um, back in the 80s, I think it was, I started an organization, uh, quote, to foster and protect the interests of those who work with horses. Because I found, and especially coming up, having groomed myself for years um, since I left school, that there was exploitation of people that work with horses. And I felt passionately about them having the recognition that they deserve. And and it, uh, it came about that I, I started this organization. I called it the National Association of Grooms, NAG for short. <laughs> and from there, I mean, I tried to educate not only the people coming into the horse industry to have a career that, that, that they're – you know that it, this was a respectable profession, but also to educate the employers that would, you know, exploit people because they didn't know what standard that they that these young people had coming in, what experience level uh, that when they came into the industry. And to cut a long story short, I got very involved with training and education of these young people, and and was really passionate about of them being given the recognition that they deserve in the industry and because you know we all love horses and it and you know there's no reason why we should be exploited for the love of the horse you know for Mm -hmm. what we bring to any stable whether it be dressage jumping racing no matter where it, it is and from there um yeah, I got involved in, in England, as I said, with the training and education and, and establishing or, or the Grooms Award over there in England. So when I came here, one of the things that was clearly missing was that structure of, of training and qualification structure here. But I felt that the grooms should be recognized. And uh, so this was my small token to – I mean, it started with um, – eventing i've offered it to recently to the dressage federation but they've declined so you know i'd like to think that other people will pick it up and to recognize the the groom and the eventing groom as you know from doing rolex is one of the hard most hard working 
set of individuals for any profession yeah, in the whole industry. Yeah, and I think to be good at what you do, you have to have some pride. And mm-hmm. if there's too much exploitation and very little recognition, it's hard to take pride in your work. And if you don't take pride in your work, then ultimately the horse suffers. So yeah. I think it's great for everybody. I'm glad you're doing that. Hopefully other people will. Uh, hopefully other people will follow, yeah, because it uh, it does recognize them each year. And I think they enjoy that recognition and it encourages young people coming into the sport too you know that that they will get that recognition okay so let's back up a little bit to your formidable years Uh, (laughs) (laughs) your maternal great-grandfather used to work with stallions and in fact he would take the mares around the country by train and um you've told me that you have fond memories of time spent with him as a child can you talk about um what that meant to you and what you learned from him well he was the only member of the family that had any horse connection And my mother used to take me uh, every Sunday to go and visit her grandparents. And he would have me sit on his knee because I was very small. And he would tell me horse stories, all kinds of horse stories, and how he used to take, in those days, take these horses, the stallion, around traveling by train around England. Um, And so that meant, you know, leading a horse for many miles on foot. And uh, and he did this for the Althorpe Estate in Northamptonshire, which, of course, is the home of uh, Princess Diana. So this made you probably nostalgic for travel and horses. Yeah, but maybe, maybe he sowed the seed right <laughs> yeah, there. Exactly. All right. Well, while we've delved into your personal life, um, we might as well keep going here. But first, it's time for another short break to remind you of Equestrian Collections, another valued sponsor here on the Dressage Radio Show. And if you're shopping for a young rider, Equestrian Collections gives you the best choice of riding apparel and equestrian footwear, equestrian-themed gifts, riding helmets and riding safety gear for young riders of any equestrian website in the world. Great everyday and promotional prices, too, with an enormous selection, including kids' riding clothes, boots, equestrian thermal gear, riding gloves, equestrian jewelry, and fun-coordinating equestrian motif belts, boot and paddock socks, and riding tops. So from head to toe, they have young riders covered. You can shop the young riders department or go to the horse department at equestriancollections.com. I have to admit, your story, from what I've heard of it, sounds a lot like my own mother's. Um, My mom's life was driven by a passion for the horses, and I I think more she had more of a passion for the horses than she did to please what her family's expectations might have been of her. My mother was one of the first women jockeys in America. They wanted her to be a telephone operator. (laughs) It sounds like your story is somewhat similar, like maybe your aspirations or their aspirations for you were a little different than your passion. Is that correct? Well, I think by the time I was ready to leave home, to be honest, they'd kind of said, oh, okay. You know, they could see that I had no sense of direction to go anywhere but with horses. Uh, and I was smitten by the age I was 14. I was totally smitten. And, uh, you know, I'd get out of all kinds of things, you know, like washing the dishes. Oh, i got to go down and see my pony, you know. I, they were, they'd gotten so used to it yeah. that uh, they realized that, I, 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 you know, I just lived and breathed them like any teenage girl you know that loves horses will recognize that you know and speaking of being smitten you also um were married while you were in england which i was surprised to learn and as you said a lifetime ago um was this something that you know like literally you just fall in love you got married it didn't work because obviously you're single and in the united states now or was it you know certainly turning 60 there's a cultural sense of obligation at times that you feel like well this is what i have to do you know you get to a certain age you get married anyway 
talk to me about the, that. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> you, you, you've answered it right there. So that's what happened. It was yeah. a cultural thing. And, mm-hmm. and here you are in the yeah, United States single. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, not surprising to learn that given your deep well of experience in the equestrian world and in the media world that um, you've, you also act as a consultant, but like in a number of different ways. In addition to career counseling for people who are already in the uh, equestrian industries, you offer media and public relations services, advising for individuals, companies, and organization events. You assist businesses in development and marketing. You offer assistance in writing for print, whether it be website, broadcast, medias, um, columns, promotional copy. Produce and direct video productions of events and projects from script to screen. And you do live commentating, announcing, emceeing, broadcast, voiceovers, and audiobook recordings, and served as the adjunct professor of equine studies at Midway College. Where do you find the time? Obviously, you have the passion. You have the depth of knowledge. You're the perfect person for all of this. Where do you find the time? Well, I don't do all of it at the same time. <laughs> so that's what it is. It's time management. Time management. And yeah, it is time management. And right now, with all the radio shows, that takes up most of my time. And then I have clients too um, that you know for for media for other media work like you. Yeah. Well, I hate to ask you if you have a favorite among those, but I mean there has to be something that drives you just a little bit more. Is there one thing that stands out to you that you like to do the most? I think I I, I get a I get a great kick out of letting being switching on the microphone and letting other people tell their story in the horse world that that is a real sense of joy to me because everybody in the horse world or in life has their own story and i think the the biggest challenge as you know as a broadcaster is enabling people to feel comfortable in the environment when you turn on a microphone to them to tell their story and that i think is probably what i enjoy as much as as anything and and for them to at the end of that, when we turn off the recorder to say how much they've enjoyed it, um, and some have you know been very kind in their comments, and you know I think well, okay, well I've done my job. Yeah, and I think a lot of these other things that you do, the consulting, the career counseling, website development, are just different ways to let people tell their story too, rather than on the radio. Yes, yes, it it, it really is, and and letting people be the best they can be, and. When you think about it, it's all evolved around the horse, and that's my biggest sense of joy. Even though I can't compete and train horses competitively anymore because of injuries, I'm all, I've always been blessed by being working in the horse industry and being surrounded by horses and talking about horses and talking to horse people. So, you know, you often hear that cliche, you know, about people having the best job in the world for them, mm-hmm. and I think. I've always been lucky in the being in the right time and place to progress my advance my career, and it's always been around the horse. Yeah, and it sounds like you've also made your own luck. Um, it's you know one thing to say you know I've been lucky, but you've put yourself in the right position. Do you feel like there are any stones that you have um, left unturned right now that you would like to explore? That's a very good question. I wasn't prepared for that one. Not for, not that I was prepared for any of these, notes, Donovan. <laughs> um, n- no, I think to continue to to be a truly a good professional, and for people to say, "Yeah, that guest was interesting," and that I facilitated that guest being 
interesting and, and able to tell their story on radio or TV. And as you know, you and I have worked side by side at, at some of the major competitions, and and that's fun too, being the producer behind the camera. Um, or, or you know, or stepping in front of the camera to host. Yeah, you like that because you get to say, "Go get them." You go yeah. over there and talk to them right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry that you're interrupting; they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I like the way you producers do that. <laughs> so, um, what do you uh, what are you looking forward to coming up next? Like, your what's your next sport that you're looking forward to? Next sport? Not next sport, but next um, show or event. Next show. Yeah. Uh, well, just. Uh, Coming up very shortly is the North America Junior Young Rider Championships, mm-hmm. and that's fun to see all these young riders, juniors and young riders, compete in uh, in the FEI disciplines um, and to be their best that they can be, because that is often the catalyst that competition for them launching onto their senior career. And I've talked to a lot of people on the shows that have been through that program, and that's fun. Uh, you know, I enjoy going over there and watching them and listening to their aspirations, their ambitions. And uh, so many of them have really, really good horses, you know, and they can only be in that young rider program till they're 21. And, and for them, it's like, OK, now what? I've still got a good horse. And what am I going to do with my career? And some of them you know, want to go on to be, you know, the, the Debbie McDonald or the Karen O'Connor of this world and that they're inspired by that because a lot of those riders went through this program too and uh, so I enjoy going and covering that event and uh, we'll cover it on all of the shows yeah the dressage jumping and eventing shows so I have to ask you do you have any regrets with I mean it seems like you again have left no stone unturned but do you have any regrets I don't know if there were any regrets Um, I'm sorry that I had to retire as early as I did um, because of injury, but I knew, you know, I had to uh, physically. And But I, I hope that I've managed to steer my career to the best of my ability and to use the experience and the talent, whatever that may be, that I have and bring all that together. And, and I think that's what I enjoy about doing these radio shows now, to be honest, Donna, is that I can kind of get my arms around everything that I've experienced and, and, and bring that to, to the audiences and, and I hope sound somewhat intelligent about what I'm talking about. And You, know. you do that. So you have the show with Legends and um, you're not Legend status yet because you're not old enough. <laughs> but let's say that, you know, 20 years down the road, you're Legend status. How would you like to be remembered? What, what would you like for your legacy to be? That I um, was always passionate about horses and passionate about what I did and uh, that yeah I, I, I probably that you know she did okay she did okay and she enjoyed what she was doing and uh, and that brought the horse world and I th- certainly through radio through broadcast through TV whatever it may be you know brought that to a wider audience as well I'd love to think that we've done that and and, and because we often get comments here at the Horse Radio Network, how you know people listen to the different shows, and and I think, wow, you know, we finally have a voice, and and I'd li- I think I'd like to be remembered for being part of that, but giving people a voice, not just here on the network, but anywhere that I've been, giving them the opportunity 
to talk about their passion for horses in the way that I've enjoyed my passion with horses, yeah. Having covered many disciplines myself, I can say that it's always you have to go to the dressage website or the eventing website, and having the Horse Radio Network, it's nice to have all those things together now, you know, and you can, mm-hmm. and, and you're obviously well-rounded in all the different disciplines. But so with all of that said, you know, obviously your background with the horses and in media, I think the last thing is is that people need to know how to get a hold of you now that they know about your background <laughs> and if they wanted any kind of consulting or advice or um, is the best place just to go to your website at chrisstafford.com? They can go to chrisestafford.com or they can just email me chris at chrisestafford.com. And don't forget the E, the E between the Chris and the Stafford. That's right. That's that's the royal E, Elizabeth. Uh, (laughs) And, yeah, or they can email me here, chris at horseradionetwork.com. They hear it every week. (laughs) All right. Well, Chris, thank you for being my guest on the show this week. And (laughs) you have a wonderful birthday. Well, thank you very much, Donna. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you. Thank you.